I'm Tommy Salmons. This is year zero. So in the midst of the shortages due to the coronavirus panic, I thought it was only appropriate. I think this was Gord's idea that I get a trucker on the line. So you can listen to a couple of truckers talk about all the bullshit that we're having to deal with out on the road and uh, that we haven't stopped delivering your commerce or your products to your stores. So once again, as a guest, I got my one of my favorite trucking buddies, Gord. What's up, man? Hey. Hey. Greetings from the wilds of the remote northern regions of Appalachia. Yeah, you're up there. You're up in Ithaca, right? That's upstate, isn't it? Yeah, I, I live just a little ways south of Ithaca, New York. That's correct. Um, yeah, this is sort of where the Appalachians run out and hit the Finger Lakes, and then it all flattens out going towards Lake Ontario. It's pretty hilly country. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, yeah, it's a little bit of a cluster out there, isn't it? You know, and this is what I was telling you last night, like before uh, Scott had sent me that that article like i'm not really seeing a whole lot of bullshit you know other than the cops are super active down here extremely active i i see if if you see a car pulled over or an accident usually down here you have like one or two cop cars maybe three but here recently the last few days it's been like six or seven cars i'm like jesus christ man they're shutting off lanes of traffic just for you know just for writing a traffic ticket I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, I don't know what's going on down there, but um, to your point, it does seem quite localized. Um, I mean, I'm getting most of my info online and talking to people and trucking Twitter and other associates over the phone. Uh, I I stick pretty close to home. I'm just running around New York and Pennsylvania. But uh, I guess it sort of depends on what lanes you're in. and uh, what cities and regions you're servicing and what industries from what I can gather, you know, there's been a few States that have shut down rest areas. There's uh, distribution warehouses that won't let drivers use the facilities because they're afraid of like, I don't know, hygiene or germs or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the reasoning is. And uh, it, it just, it seems to be like this perfect mixture of making truckers lives hell. Um, the FMCSA uh, lifted the HOS restrictions for anybody hauling stuff for coronavirus, uh, for resupplying stores due to the panic buying. So everyone's working their tail off, but then all the support systems that keep us going on the road seem to be uh, turning their backs on our. Uh, our road warrior friends yeah i i i noticed like right before we got on the phone um a a buddy of mine another trucker friend of mine posted on facebook that all um non-essential business in pennsylvania has been completely shut down so the i mean i'm assuming they're letting truckers get through there with essential items medical items um grocery items and this that and the other but everything else is is completely closed from what i understand yeah uh, when i saw that um there's a couple of people i follow on twitter i'll shout them out you know there's a, a lady named trucker desiree and another woman named michelle kitchen 
and uh, they're they're pretty on top of things. And when I heard that um, Pennsylvania was closing the rest areas, they were like literally barricading them off and not letting folks park in them. Like Interstate 80 runs east-west all the way through Pennsylvania, and it's basically the main artery for New York City, like other than Interstate 95, which runs the eastern seaboard. All of your produce, your meat, everything that comes to the east coast from the western United States runs along 80. Right. And 80 going through Pennsylvania is it's no short trip, man. It's 300 some odd miles across Pennsylvania. Yeah. You might need to go to the bathroom somewhere in those 300 miles. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah, and a lot another thing that people don't understand is all right. We we have hours of service that we typically follow. Now these guys that are running essential items, they they have the hours of service, you know, you know, uh, bypass what, basically. They, they're they they're they're called. I, I believe it. I I believe it's called a waiver or a lifting of restrictions. Right. I, I've worked through those before. Um, I've spent a lot of my trucking career in the energy industry and right. um, hauling fuel. And in the winter time, when it gets really cold, or um, another time, when was that last big hurricane that hit the Gulf Coast in Houston a couple of years ago? Oh, that was Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah that like fl- it, we got some flooding was, at my place. Yeah. Yeah, there was a pretty, there was a issue with one of the main pipelines that comes from Houston, heads east, and then heads north and brings uh, fuel products all the way up here. And that pipeline got interrupted. So. They issued a waiver to HOS rules for all the fuel carriers. So we were basically allowed to work as much as we wanted because the interruption to the pipeline terminals where you get fuel meant that the trucks had to go further away. Typically, uh, fuel products get pipelined to uh, terminals where they get railed to them and they try to keep the trucking to a minimum. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the same idea as hub and spoke, except it's working off of pipelines. Right. Um, and the same goes for what I'm hauling now for propane. I, I, uh, I'm now hauling propane to homes and businesses and institutions for heating and cooking and whatnot. I do high schools, uh, local county school districts for their fleets of propane fueled buses you know, to your 124-gallon tank beside your house you use for cooking or whatever. And um, all of that gets pipelined to Watkins Glen, which is 30 miles west of me, and then uh, Semi brings it to my distribution center, which is pretty close to where I live, and then I take it anywhere within 100 miles a year. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what I was was getting at, you know – is they have this this waiver system they're they're operating under for the hours of service and most of us will get out on the road and we we have like we have deadlines we have somewhere to be we're we're gonna we're gonna hit it we're gonna we're gonna haul ass and and do the best we can to meet those deadlines and get on time delivery and if they're telling us look we need this shit asap then we're gonna be running you know, we might be driving 16, 18 hours that day. And if these rest areas are closed and you got to go another hour or two hours down the road before you can stop and get you any sleep, that's dangerous for the truckers. And people oh, need to totally. be aware that if their products aren't getting there 
It's not because the truckers aren't running and aren't trying to get it there. Sometimes it's because the truckers can't get into these rest areas and get the amount of sleep or rest they need, even if it's just a two hour nap, you know, in a, in an 18 hour shift or whatever it is. And I, yeah. you know, I completely understand that in Texas because Texas has a waiver on all federal um, hours of restriction as long as you are working within, like you said, the oil and gas industry and you don't leave the state of Texas, then you're still under the 16 and 8 clock, or it used to be this way up until a couple of years ago. You were still running on the old 16 and 8 clock, you know, and now we, most truckers are running on the 14 and 11. Yeah, they, used, they had that in Alberta when I worked in Western Canada. Uh, same idea. It was 15 and 9, but you, as long, if you didn't leave Alberta, you could work. I think yeah. 21 days straight without taking a day off. Right. Um, well, a, a point I've been trying to make, I mean, to some, whoever will listen to my ranting on Twitter is um, it's all good to like, let turn guys loose and let them drive the hours, but the major time suck. And you'll know this because you service a lot of warehouses is the sitting and waiting to get loaded and unloaded. And this isn't an issue just because of coronavirus, although the, this current situation has exacerbated it. Right. But for decades, the trucker's bane was just all the time he gets wasted at loading docks. Mm -hmm. Even if you have an appointment, sometimes they just, they just treat you like free warehousing and you'll spend two hours, three hours, four hours, six hours waiting to get loaded or unloaded. And you might not be able to have a nap and you might not be in that part of your day where it is time to sleep and it just messes with your system mm -hmm. and eats into your time. And under the ELDs, it totally takes away your time to drive because you've wasted most of it at some shippers or receivers facility. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of government intervention into anything, but to my mind, it seemed like, well, you could increase the efficiency of the trucking fleet nationwide if instead of lifting hours of service restrictions, the government just told all these people, look, if you're in the food distribution network, you have to stop being cheap bastards and hire more staff, hire more forklift drivers, somehow streamline your operation because all these trucks sitting here waiting, 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 waiting is of no service to the wider community or the current situation. Yeah, I don't, I don't run into that mu as much as I used to um, because I'm on a dedicated route anymore. But I know um, HEB was the worst down here. HEB was horrible. You would show up at their location. Your, your appointment would be for midnight, and they wouldn't see you until probably like 4 o'clock the next afternoon. You'd just be sitting there. You would get there. You would get there at six in the evening expecting to be unloaded by midnight and uh, they they would get to you at four o'clock the next afternoon. That's almost 24 hours. You're just sitting, you know, and we're not. Yeah. And we and we do get layover pay and there is the that layover some, pay. Some guys do. <laughs> but but well, I, I'm talking for myself. We you know, we were getting layover pay. But what they would do is if your layover was longer than like four or five hours they would say, oh, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to give you shop pay. Well, shop pay is $150. Layover pay is $16 an hour. So if I'm getting $16 an hour for 20 hours, you know, that's 320 bucks. 
But if I'm getting layover, if I'm getting shop pay and 150 bucks, well, then I'm getting shorted too, you know? So then yeah. you're also running a lot of good drivers out of the industry because you're, you're cheaping, you're getting cheap on, on their wages and on their time. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, this is an ever present problem in the trucking and logistics world is churn. Yes. Because they bring a lot of new guys into this and then they realize that everybody's trying to rip you off. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of cooperation as far as efficiency of your time is concerned for many shippers and receivers. Then you go out on the road and you get hassled by the cops and our public perception in the media is not all that good, but that's mostly the media's fault. And, you know, after a while, you just get tired of your time being wasted and not being compensated for it. And they just say enough of that. And then they have to go find more new people. And this, I mean, your, your podcast speaks a lot about government issues and it's anarchist leaning. So one of my major points about the trucking industry that drives me nuts and I'm never going to stop raving about it is that this driver churn problem is wholly created and funded by the state mm -hmm. um, because the lar large legacy carriers have figured out a way to corporate welfare finance the training part of their operations through either in-house truck driving schools or truck driving schools that are only you know, one step away from them or they're owned in a group with other trucking companies and they're subsidized by state and local authorities through various jobs programs. Or if you're a military veteran, the government will pay for you to go to truck driving school. So the large carriers have no incentive whatsoever to pay the good skilled people that like figure it out and are decent drivers. And they just keep adding more new guys constantly. And they say, well, there's a driver shortage. No, there's not a driver shortage. There's a shortage of you people willing to pay the skilled, competent, experienced guys, treat them properly and keep them around because the government's paying for your bottom end training. So you just don't care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it's hard to sort of quantify how that affects the current situation with coronavirus because the trucking industry has been in flux. Um, there was a really good article put out the other day. There's a reporter named Rachel Premack who writes for Business Insider, and she's been following the trucking business for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. And in that article, it points out that in 2000, and was it 2018 or 2019, 640 trucking companies in the United States went bankrupt. Jesus. Right? So, yeah, and I mean, that's all across the board. I mean, you know, the United States is pretty big and there's thousands of trucking companies. So on the whole, it might not seem like that much, but like that's that's a lot of unemployed drivers. Yeah. And there's the drivers who quit and CDL holders who just don't bother working or don't want to work long distance like me for whatever reason. And so it's it's sort of hard to quantify where the driver churn issue intersects with the coronavirus panic sort of supply line cluster that we're looking at but i'm sure it does well and and then you have the <laughs> the united states government turning around and you have donald trump invoking the defense production act which before yesterday in in our group i did i had never even heard of that and it was brought to our attention and i was like what the hell so i start reading through these provisions have you read through that no, I haven't got to it yet. Okay, so basically this nationalizes, this socializes 
the entire production economy. That's what it does. It gives the, the, the president of the United States the ability to determine whether or not product is more efficiently utilized at, at the stores or for national defense. And if he determines that it's more, uh, more uh, intuitive to put it towards national defense, then he's going to start moving all these shipments towards national defense. Okay, so, so instead of letting the chaos of the market through the orders that are coming in and the demand that is, is already existent determine where product is flowing, you have Trump determining, no, all that product is to go here. Yeah, so it's basically, it's, it's basically invoking uh, the privilege of centralized control on the part of the feds. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I think I think that was sort of meant to be like I think this ties into the idea and there's been a couple articles written about this now that like basically we're declaring war on coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. And there's sort of a there's there's sort of a joke amongst like libertarian and anarchist circles that like when the the government declares war on something we get more of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they declared <laughs> war on drugs, there's more drugs. They declared war on poverty, there's more poverty. And now they've declared war on coronavirus. Right at the same time that they're actually having more testing. So now there's going to be more coronavirus. Right. Isn't that right. funny? Yeah. But like, no, but like when they declare, when, when they declared that war, the, the, the sort of terminology and um, oh, the way they're framing this as a war powers thing is quite interesting. And yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how all that stuff works, but um, you know, I, I'm typically skeptical of some bureaucrat somewhere telling the market where and when to send what supplies and under what conditions, under what price. I've seen some people talking about like wage controls and I'm like, so is Donald Trump like FDR 2.0? Because this was a lot of the stuff that FDR invoked to like, you know, get us through the Great Depression and then during the Second World War, so, you know, the National Reinvestment and Recovery Act or something that FDR right. passed? Yes. It's, it, it, there, I, I feel like there's echoes of that with what's going on with uh, this particular invocation. Well, and rightfully so. I mean, the Defense Production Act was actually written in, in the 1950s. So it was it was during it was it was in, it was after the New Deal era, but it was for the Korean War. And that's oh, the, Kore the, the Korean police action <laughs> that they never declared war on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but here's what concerns me, is you have, you have areas like, like where I live, in, in rural areas, that are not experiencing shortages. So they're not upping, they're not upping their, their amount and their, their load on the drivers and on the production fleet for deliveries and but then you have the the cities where you're experiencing these shortages because you got a large group of people you know suddenly flooding the market in in exorbitant ways that they never had flooded the market before so what i yeah. what concerns me is is the central authority funneling all all the deliveries to the city centers 
forgetting about the rural centers, and then you start experiencing these shortages in the rural areas. You see what I'm saying? And yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's going to be yeah, a constant. It's kind of like if you overdraw your account, and then you not only got the overdraft, but you have all the fees on top of it that you're trying to catch up with. This is going to be a constant cycle of of chasing your tail. You know, trying to play catch up. You're never going to get on top of it because you're not allowing the market to to operate and function as as it would operate under you know, basically chaos theory. It's, it's, yeah. what, it's what Mises referred to as planned chaos. You know what I'm saying? You, you plan it, you, you have the central planning authority that is planning all, all the production and all the uh, shipments and it creates chaos, you know, and uh, as Hayek had said, you know, Paris doesn't go hungry, you know, no matter without, even back then without central authority, and the central planning in the economy, Paris never went hungry. They always figured it out. It always worked out. The market, the market has a way of balancing all these things out. And so if you give the market the, the market a chance to catch up, then you'll you'll see that that there will be an influx of possibly these drivers that have been driven out of the system saying, you know what? Like there's, there's a need for my assistance. I can't work right now on my normal job. I'll go take a temp job with one of these companies and I'll help start hauling this material, but that's not what they want to do. They want yeah, to. Yeah. Well, it depends. It. I mean, it's, it, it's specific. I mean, the, the sort of food and paper and, you know, retail consumables that everybody's panic buying, you know, that's busy, but like other industries are slow. In that same article I referenced from uh, Rachel Premack, she, she spoke with a guy who, a driver, he's in Texas, and he works for a company that moves shows, like music shows, uh-huh. um, you know, all the staging, all the equipment for shows. And because all the concerts and festivals and everything are all basically canceled right now because all large group gatherings are are canceled in an effort to, you know, flatten the curves, stop the spread of the virus. You know, anybody in that business now is basically out. There's nothing happening. Um, The big three are under pressure from the United Auto Workers Union to stop producing cars, as are other manufacturers, Mm -hmm. because the employees feel all being stuffed in a factory together is going to expose them to risk of the virus. And they've all announced shutdowns. And, like, you know... Chrysler, Ford, GM, Toyota, Honda, these guys all have armies of trucks hauling their parts around between the parts suppliers, the assembly plants, all the flatbed guys that haul steel coils to the stamping plants that make the parts. Like, there's a, you know, a great deal of the trucking industry, especially in the Midwest and the Northeast, is, is for the automotive people. And in the South, Tennessee, South Carolina, there's quite a bit of car, manu- uh, car manufacturing plants down there now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if those guys all end up getting laid off, then you know, that's a problem. Um, I don't know if they would all get absorbed into hauling food, but, you know, I th- there might also be like, I, it's been a few days now, or at least a week, maybe even a week since the panic buying really got into full swing. Yeah. And you're starting to see the stores get like restocked and they haven't completely run out of things. Um, so it's, it's starting to like cure itself a little bit. Um, and I'm just curious as to where it's going to go because 
I've been trying to sort of tell people around here and online, you know, just buy your regular amount of groceries. Obviously, you know, the trucks are all moving and, you know, it's a little bit stressful, but like it's getting done. And there's people posting photos from Costco's and grocery stores of stock shelves and, you know, like everything's more or less fine. But I have to wonder how long that's going to last. Just because. I know know Georgia Pacific, which is a paper producer, um, has, has shifted their production and they're producing more toilet paper than they normally do. So the last two, the last two shipments I've done for Georgia Pacific have run to, um, run to Costco. And then I have, I have another one, a third one now that I'm sitting under that is going up to, um, the, their, their facility, their distribution facility in, uh, Dallas or just South of Dallas. And, um, Hey, I'll sell information. I know where the toilet paper is South of Dallas. I'm just telling you, <laughs> I, I'll give you an address. You know, you just, all you got to do is, all you got to do is come at me with a, with a number. Yeah, um, you remember, did, did you see that photo I sent you? I can't remember the name of the guy I got it from uh, about 90 miles from where I live here. Um, down in Pennsylvania, there's a town called Mahoopney. And there's a very, very large Procter and Gamble paper products plant there. Yeah. In fact, I I remember delivering fuel to a place near there, and I stopped at a gas station that's down the road from it. And the guys that worked there that were there said it's the largest factory in America. Like it's the biggest mill structure underneath one roof. Like it's it goes for miles. It's a massive, massive operation. They make toilet paper. They make diapers. They make paper. They make everything. And there was a photo of all these trucks lined up to get in the plant and pick up. And it was like three miles long or something wow. ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think I saw that. No, I don't think I saw that. I must've missed it. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was last Friday. But yeah. Um, so no, I know that they've, that like the last two loads I've brought to Costco have been nothing but toilet paper. This load I'm carrying uh, up to Georgia Pacific in uh, Hutchins just south of uh or wilmer just south of dallas is uh is nothing but toilet paper and the load i'm supposed to pick up tomorrow i'm picking up a load tomorrow to run to the uh walmart distribution center in new caney which is going to be nothing but toilet paper you know so that's kind of what the what it's looking like right now there we're not moving like big rolls oh, of paper I wonder what it's I wonder I wonder what it says about our collective subconscious that everyone's worried about toilet fucking paper, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I it's like I said the other day. I I said, you know, the coronavirus goes global. It the symptoms include a dry cough and a fever, and Americans rush out and buy all the toilet paper available. This is exactly why central planning can't work. Nobody would have seen that coming. Nobody no. would have seen the toilet paper craze. No, they would have. They would have. They would have said, "Hey, we better load up on cough Robitussin. Cough. Robitussin, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, we're all worried about wiping our ear ends. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's the high high X knowledge problem. You have no idea what's happening at all times or anywhere or what's going to happen in the future, and you know, trying to like plan for you know some major society-wide project is quite often leads to folly so right right and that's what worries me about the invoking of this defense the production act i'm just like this 
this isn't going to go well. This is going to well, this is going to get ugly. I I would like to add to that, and uh, you know, I was saying before, I I'm sort of starting to wonder if maybe I overshot myself by telling people not to panic buy. Like they shouldn't panic buy, but I think you should also stock up to a certain degree in a non-panic fashion. Um, just be well. My okay, so my wife is pregnant, right? And right. she went to her OBGYN office today because our second child is due next week. And she was speaking with the doctors there. And, you know, there's all these plans being made at our local hospital to deal with an influx of possible flu patients and then deal with everybody else that normally goes to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, her doctor had spoken with an epidemiologist. And then I spoke spoke with another friend of mine today, who's in the health uh, sort of food business and like goes and, and supplies products to health food stores and natural stores. Mm-hmm. And he was speaking with an epidemiologist. And I think the people who sort of study viruses and um, and sicknesses and whatnot yeah, are infectious disease specialists. infectious diseases specialists are pretty freaked out. Um, I, I don't, I mean, you know, what one could have a debate about how freaked out the media should be, but like from, from where I'm sitting, I'm just a truck driver. What do I know? But like all the smart people in the field are like, this is going to be a major issue. And if it gets that major where it concerns us, one of the unfortunate realities about the demographics of people in the trucking business is, is there's a lot of dudes who maybe don't look after themselves as well as they should. A lot of smokers, a lot of guys that aren't very healthy, possibly obese, possibly suffering from sleep apnea, and you know, and older. There's a lot of still, trucking typically leans older. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are older in the business. So when, if, and when this virus starts to hit the sort of infection numbers that they're projecting. I'm just wondering like how many people in trucking and other parts of the supply chain get knocked out. And once you start getting to like a certain, like if if there's like a, you know, for lack of a better term, like a tipping point number of drivers who are sick and unable to work when that starts to affect the distribution system, Right. Yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, well, I mean, there has been some good news on the on the front of all that is they did find or that in it's not set in stone, but they have found that a malaria pill that was developed in the 40s does help kill the virus. Now, it's not 100 percent effective. It. Uh, it, it's it's great for like early symptoms you know what i'm saying so if you're if you catch the virus early then this this malaria pill seems to take care of it it seems to 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 be all right um it okay. doesn't it doesn't now if you're an older guy like because all the numbers i've seen I, I read the imperial college study all the numbers i've seen say you really shouldn't worry until you get above the age of 60 and really at, at at the age of 60 you know in your 60s you you really are at like a five percent risk of death whereas once you hit 80 it jumps up to 15.8 percent 
you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It it it, it, knock, it knocks out the older <clears throat> folks, which is I mean that's still a tragedy. People are people, no matter how old they are. We're right, but but what people have to understand is it's not the virus itself, and this is something that I've been trying to to express that it's not the virus itself that's doing this. I've been trying to read a lot on this and figure this out, you know, for the podcast, especially because I want to be able to give people the best information available, you know, and it it seems like what it's doing is it's causing pneumonia. Well, my grandma died of pneumonia in January, you know, like she was terrible. I I didn't, I I hadn't heard that Tommy. I'm I'm sorry for your loss, brother. Oh yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I got, was... I got, I got walking pneumonia in October myself. Knocked me down for a couple of days. I don't know, I don't know why they call it walking pneumonia because I wasn't uh, walking. You didn't want to walk, yeah. I got it when I, <laughs> I got it when I was in basic training. It ain't, it ain't where you don't really want to walk very much. Um, uh, but yeah, so she died of pneumonia at 83 years old this past January. You know, so any kind of immune system. You know, when when you get older, your immune system is compromised. Your respiratory system gets compromised. These things do occur. You know what I'm saying? So yes, it it, it it appears that the younger you are and the healthier you are. Now, if you have if you have uh, some kind of compromised immune system or some kind of disease that causes a compromised respiratory system, like diabetes or some or heart failure, you know, or something like this then yes, you absolutely are a higher risk. But for your general healthy, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 year old person, they're not really at a high risk of dying. And even the doctors are telling them, don't go to the hospital, just quarantine yourself, stay at home, you know, and, and do the best you can. And take, you know, I think they're saying take Tylenol, don't take ibuprofen, um, take Tylenol and to help with the infection and the inflammation in your lungs and you'll, it's, it's going to be okay. So what it sounds like to me, it sounds like in, in the way that I've, I've heard doctors explain it is like, this is SARS. This is just, um, in another form of the SARS virus. Like there's a lot of strains of the uh, influenza virus. There's also multiple strains of the SARS virus. This is oh, just yeah. the first time we've seen this particular strain. And this this whole coronavirus, and I've tried to explain this to people as well, that term coronavirus, that's a slang term. Corona is a Latin word that means crown, and it's a virus. So what it's, what it's describing is the way that the virus looks. The virus has all these spikes. Each each viral cell has these spikes all over it, and these spikes make it look like it's wearing a crown, and it attaches itself to your cells using these spikes. So it's like this sounds scary and it sounds different, but really what we're dealing with is a SARS epidemic, right? And at the moment, when you look at like the Imperial College study. It's not really that much worse than what SARS is, as far as the as far as the um, asymptom asymptomatic people, those showing symptoms, the fate, fatality 
percentage, it's it's around the same. So to me, the panic is worse than the virus itself. Well, panic the panic is always worse than the problem, but at the same time, you also want to be prudent and you also want to take precautions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying like like there's no need to panic. It, it's it's like because what the panic's doing is it's causing otherwise healthy people to rush to the hospital and to take up hospital beds and to take up room, you know, it's causing otherwise healthy people to panic by toilet paper and water and all these necessities, you know, and it's like, okay, wait, take, take a deep breath, take a step back, you know? Yeah. I think the, I mean, I'm not trying to toot the horn of my particular location, but, so I live near Ithaca, New York. It's in uh, Tompkins County. And none of our stores have really, like, run out of anything yet. They haven't been totally cleaned out. I mean, I, I think they've run out of a few items here and there over the last week. But they're generally functional. Um, the local health authorities have been, like, keeping tabs on uh you know, infection and who's got it and who's quarantined and like keeping the public informed. Right. And at the moment there's six confirmed cases in our County mm-hmm. and not one of them's at the hospital. They're all just quarantined at home. Right. And then there was another, I think I read today, 293 people quarantined um, who are suspected of having it. And, you know, there's a bunch of people awaiting tests. So, you know, it seems like everybody around here is taking it pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, you're right. You know, like just you know, take it easy, buy your normal amount of groceries, but you know, maybe increase the purchase of certain things and slowly build up in case you know shit hits the fan further down the track in the coming months. Right. Which it looks. It, it seems to me like at this point in time, we're the the two most dangerous things that we're facing right now is a potential martial law situation um (laughs) and and then uh the potentiality of civil unrest and people just losing their shit and going on killing sprees because they can't find the products they need well i i'm skeptical that that's going to happen um the martial law thing who knows maybe you know i never 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 underestimate the government's propensity to take advantage of a crisis and agglomerate itself more power unnecessarily that i agree with you with but i don't know man for as much as we perceive ourselves to be crazy and gun nuts and you know like you know kind of american psycho that stereotype most most people on the whole are pretty reasonable and given that, like, we're keeping up with supplies and, you know, like, everybody's got groceries. So it's not, I, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, worry it, about it more in the cities, in the bigger cities. You know, when you like, got an island like New York with 8 million people stacked on top of each other. Or, you know, a place like Houston with, like, 5 million people. You know, you got that. It's just that compact. You're, like, right on top of each other. Everybody's one on top of the other on top of the other. You're you're looking at a situation where it, where it, it could be yeah that the fair fair point fair point I don't I, I don't want to bias my own experience here living in the country in a not so densely populated area that's true yeah um yeah our uh, my wife has a lot of friends in New York City she used to live in Brooklyn 
And uh, we've been in contact with them, and a lot of them are in the hospitality business. A couple of people that are like wine sommeliers and restaurant managers, and they're all at home, not doing very much. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering, you know, now, now Trump's like appropriating Andrew Yang's UBI thing, and the the Republicans are talking about giving people monthly payments. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, I'm not really, I, you know, I, I've had people ask me what I think about it and I'm just like, I'm not going to register for it. And then somebody was like, well, you don't have to register for it. They're going to send it to you automatically. And I'm like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Home Depot and find a bunch of illegal aliens and buy them green cards. (laughs) So... Wow, I just heard a couple of people's heads explode. Um, maybe maybe yeah. buy a couple of pickaxes and tear down the wall. Uh, well, hey, man, if I, if I get some Corona bucks, I'm going to buy some things for my kids and maybe get my pickup truck fixed and continue not enjoying my coronavirus staycation because I deliver propane to people's houses and it's still cold up here and I'm not getting a break from anything. So is it, man, it's all, it's in the eighties down here now. Yeah. See, that's, another thing. that's another thing I read is that, that the, the virus isn't surviving well in, in heat. And so, um, you know, maybe come, come down South, you know, act like a bird and come down South for the, for the Corona. I don't know. <laughs> You'd be drinking Corona down here instead of dying from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, uh, from what I understand, they're expecting like a wave of initial infection and then whatever reaction to that takes place. And then it'll peter out in the summer and then it's going to come back next fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what we'll, that, we'll... that's what that study showed. It actually showed that with, with the steps that we're taking right now, it actually it actually suggested that next fall, in, around September October, is actually going to be uh, more difficult on the hospitals than it is right now, and that that you're actually going to see that in September October uh, later this year um, that the hospitals are going to be there's going to be like three to five times the demand for hospital beds than there, than there are beds available. So hopefully um, this, this malaria pill does do what they are advertising it as doing. And um, you can take it as a preventative from, from catching, you know, the coronavirus. Is this malaria pill, is that, that's a chloroquine? Yes. Uh, Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. Well, it's actually in the one in the U S Chloroquine is the one with the the higher, um, it has more uh, side effects. The one they're using in the U.S. is hydroxychloroquine. And what they they did is they redesigned it so that there are less side effects. And they would give it to military um, members, infantry soldiers that were going into um, malaria-dense areas. Uh, like Africa or South America, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Yeah. 
And so it's not something they break out a lot of, and there's not a high, uh, it doesn't appear that they have very much um, on the shelf at the moment. But from what I understand, they're upping the production. Um, Jack, yeah. Jack Spearco um, from the Survivalist podcast, he um, he knows somebody in the pharmaceutical industry and that that has gave him given him a lot of information on on this particular drug and uh, the expected uses of it. So um, I would I would suggest anybody go to check out his YouTube channel. Just um, look up Jack Spearco. Yeah, and, I've heard uh, of Jack before. I believe I heard him on uh, Pete Quinoa's uh, podcast. Yeah, he's been on. Free, yeah, he's been on Free Man Beyond the Wall before. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, another sort of ray of hope. Um, my friend Coop uh, sent me uh, an article earlier today. Uh, although I haven't been able to read it yet, but the gist of it is, is some, uh, a university research center in Australia has been treating coronavirus patients with some kind of drug they use for people infected with HIV or AIDS. Yeah. Because the, the similar problem is, is that HIV and AIDS, or, or AIDS attacks your immune system. Uh-huh. And gets, and I guess it turns your immune system against you. Uh-huh. And there's these, these drugs that they, they use to, uh, to prevent that from happening are beneficial with helping the immune systems of immunocompromised individuals who have coronavirus. Apparently, they've saved a couple of people by using these HIV AIDS drugs. Um, I don't know how widely available they are, how much they cost, whether it's like a unique to Australia drug regimen or something that would work, that, that would be approved here by the FDA. I have no idea. I haven't got into it yet, but um, that's it seems hopeful. Yeah, I, I know what they were doing in China and Japan and Australia and South Korea. They were combining, they were making a cocktail out of two different HIV drugs in this in chloroquine and and it was killing the virus <laughs> and so they had split up the um the testing and said okay we need to take the milder symptoms the people with the mildest symptoms and we need to figure out which one of these drugs is actually defeating the virus or if it's a combination of all of them like or if it's the cocktail itself and uh, I know um, a doctor in France had had written uh, a peer-reviewed study that that chloroquine was acting on its own, and it's a lot less expensive than these HIV drugs. Now these HIV drugs may be doing the exact same thing, so it might be something that that is used to engineer all of these drugs that is 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 killing this virus but basically what it's doing is at least the chloroquine what it does is it regenerates your cells in a certain in in a way and it reforms your cells and this is not scientifically accurate i'm just giving you the basic like my basic layman's idea and understanding of this it reforms your cells so that the the spikes of the virus cannot grab onto the cell and so it's repelling the virus oh cool so it's kind of like bug dope keep the mosquitoes away yeah kind of yeah kind of like that 
Oh, very good. Yeah. So, so. you're moving around Texas and Louisiana, and uh, what's the general tone down there as far as, you know, people at truck stops, people you meet on the road, everybody's keeping her calm, cool, and collected, or what's going on? Yeah, everybody's cool. Um, Georgia Pacific in um, Zachary, Louisiana, uh, has a little questionnaire for you to answer before they allow you onto their facility property. Just making sure you haven't had any contact with anybody who's been infected. Um, other than that, like I haven't noticed much much different. Other than the um, iron skillet at the Petro in Hammond, Louisiana was closed. Um, there were actually at the Petro in in Hammond. There were they didn't even have hot dogs on the roller grill. Man, they didn't have nothing going. I was like, wow. Y'all are just kind of like hiding out behind the behind oh, the man. register over there, but there's not there's 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 nothing less appetizing I can think of than a truck stop hot dog roller grill. Oh, <laughs> right. Good lord! <laughs> but they no, thank you. But you know they keep those things going twenty four seven. There was nothing on it. Yeah, I was oh, like, man. wow. Oh. Okay. <laughs> man, I'm I I'm I'm just I've I've turned into such a snob in my old age. I'm kind of glad I'm not on the road because I fucking hate truck stops now. Oh. Man. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm I'm spoiled as hell because my wife's always making me great food and sending. Yeah, it to me. my my yeah my wife knows her way around the kitchen too. I don't I don't lack for anything. Um, yeah. But like I just you know the. Part of me, part of me was a little bit cynical when I started hearing about the rest area closures because when I worked in Australia, if you're in the outback, there's nothing, you know, like if you're a guy hauling cattle between stations, you know, and you're in central Queensland or the Northern Territory or something like, you know, it's a long way between roadhouses, you know, you're sleeping in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road and everyone carries a shovel on the back of the bunk and you carry your own toilet paper and you just walk out into the scrub and dig a hole and go. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I was in Western Australia, I never, I, I never used the bathroom at truck stops because half the time I'd be sleeping in the middle of nowhere and get up in the morning and oh, you know, just wander out into the woods. I mean, people can't do that here just because there's like so much more traffic and you don't always have forest or sort of natural areas near rest areas. And, I mean, God knows what kind of garbage you'd have to wade through anyway to get out of the sticks, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm also amazed at the, you know, the just the lack of forethought of government action. You know, like these guys didn't think of the consequences, you know, and the governor of Pennsylvania and the DOT decided to close all those rest areas. Like, what did, what did they think was going to do? I mean, one of the big themes in the trucking business is like the lack of truck parking, which got exacerbated by the ELD mandate because now most guys are sleeping sort of at the same time. Whereas back in the day, you'd sort of run all night and pull over whenever you felt like it. There was like a little bit more like through flow, so to speak. Yeah. And now, you know, last time I had a highway job in 2017, like, God help you if you tried to find a parking spot after 6 o'clock in the evening because there just wasn't any. Oh, yeah. You know? no, absolutely. I, I I spend a lot of my times whenever I – uh, because there aren't you – know, when I was over the road, I would sleep a lot in rest areas. That was kind of my preference because yeah. there, there wasn't a lot of traffic. There was no temptation to go spend a shitload of money, 
you know, yep. I just kind of sit in my truck. I play on my phone for an hour or whatever, read whatever I wanted to do. And then I'd go to bed. But yeah. now that I down here, there's not as many rest areas for me to stop at on the route I run. So what I do is I look for lesser known truck stops. You know, I look for, I don't, I don't try to stop. I never sleep at a flying J or a loves never. No, you're just asking to get your hood caved in by somebody that doesn't know how to back up anyway. Yeah, probably. I, <laughs> but so I, I stay, you know, in little mom and pop places, you know, because I, I can always find a parking spot. You yeah, know? I've always I've always favored that, too. And I mean, when, when you get to know certain routes um, and you get to know the skinny roads that sort of run parallel to the interstates in places, and I mean, now with uh, with smartphones, I mean, you know, I, I started driving truck in the late 90s and that was still atlases. There was no smartphones. You had to call people and get directions. And, you know, like if you were a rookie, you know, you really had to pay attention to figure out what, what was what and where was what. Right. But now we have all this information and um, I, I like to drink beer and... <laughs> I remember my last OTR job with these guys in Syracuse. I figured out where the nearest bar was to everywhere. And <laughs> um, I mean, I, I used to sometimes I had a customer in New Jersey and I would park at a rest area on the New Jersey turnpike that was kind of near a suburb. And I figured out like if I kind of like hopped the fence and walked about three quarters of a mile down the road, there was a bar that served food. So I'll just like leave the truck at the rest area, and then I walked three quarters of a mile and went to the bar and had a few beers, you know. Yeah. That was the habit I got into in Australia because we all they, we all carried beer with us in the trucks because, like, the fucking cops are gonna bother you out in the middle of the outback, and you know they have a more of a beer drinking culture down there. Everyone's got a fridge and a freezer in the truck. You pull over on the side of the road and crack a couple cold ones, and then go to bed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. They don't. They don't. They don't smile upon that here. No. Oh yeah. No. I think there's like there's some law saying there can't be any alcohol in the tractor unit. There can't be any on the trailer unless it's manifested part of the load. Yeah. I remember. I remember a buddy of mine. Oh, this is this is how dirty the fucking cops can be. Uh, my friend Dennis was uh, on his way back to Hamilton in Ontario, and he stopped at the duty free at Port Huron, Michigan on the Michigan side just prior to the pay toll to go over the Blue Water Bridge. Yeah. So he goes he goes into the duty free, gets himself a cheap bottle of whiskey, puts it in the kickbox under the bunk, jumps in the truck, rolls up to the cash box, and the Michigan DOT are sitting at the toll booth and they said, Hey, did you just come out of the duty free? They go, Yeah. And they said, pull your truck over there. So he was literally a couple of hundred yards from being on the bridge and scot-free back in Canada, and the Michigan DOT fined him six hundred fucking dollars because he pulled over to get a bottle of whiskey at the duty free. Oh Jesus! I yeah. saw a guy one time. I was, and it was, it was weird because I was, uh, I can't remember exactly. I know I was on a border. I was on, I was at exit one. I can't remember what state I was in, but anyway, it was Fourth of July, and I used to carry a little grill that I could put under my bunk. And so I pulled over into this little truck stop and I parked and they had a little pond there. And this is when I still had pinky. He was still a puppy. 
And uh, so I kicked back. I had stopped at the Walmart earlier that day and bought me a six pack of beer and some fucking and some steaks. And I'm sitting outside my truck by the pond and I'm far enough away from my truck. You couldn't tell I was in a truck and there were people fishing all around the pond and there were pe- and people shooting fireworks and all this. And uh, I watch cops pull up and go truck to truck and find truck drivers that were sitting outside their truck watching fireworks, drinking a beer and giving them DUIs. And I was like, they're, Get not, the heck out of they're here. nowhere near driving, nowhere near driving. And I saw three of them get locked up that night. I was like, that is crazy. That's some dirty business. Yeah. You know, but we got to trust the police because they're on our side, right? Oh, of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. The boys in blue. Yeah. But this uh, little shit of mine is starting to get wild and he's eating holes in me. So I'm going <laughs> to call it an end here. All right. Well, it was good talking to you, Tommy. And for anybody out there listening, yeah, just, you know, uh, proceed with caution and prudence and keep everything to a low simmer and, um, you know, try and stay healthy. Wash your hands. Get, you know, lots of companies like the people I work for gave me free hand sanitizer to carry with me in the truck. Um, you know, and just you know, try and limit your contact with people and, you know, just do what you got to do. And, you know, maybe if you're interstate over the road driver, you know, strap a shovel to the back of your frame or something or put it on the headache rack, something, because it's obvious that we can't trust the authorities to like give us anywhere to go. And, you know, you don't want to go in some like filthy ass porta potty. I see they've been putting up at rest areas. Oh yeah, so, I've noticed that recently too. Well, I, we might we might just have to pretend like we're camping, you know? Just get her done. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and plug your Twitter because you're fucking hilarious and people need to follow you. Oh, um, yeah, uh, on Twitter at token t o k e n underscore blue, or just search for token blue collar friend. My my real name's Gord, whatever, but you know, there's anonymity is the order of the day. Given the uh, wider zeitgeist out there, I'm not afraid of losing my job or anything. I'm I'm nobody, but you know, you you have more latitude and freedom to say the things you want to say, and that's just the way it is. So yeah. All right, that's token blue collar friend. <laughs> Everybody uh, needs one, <laughs> <laughs> especially where I live, bro. All right. Well, that was was my boy Gord. I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Boogie eating the shit out of me. Late. All right. So what does late mean? Is that like you?